Welcome to episode 5 of Stretch 4. Today, we'll be discussing Hassan Whiteside, a little bit of Paul George, and we'll be talking about the playoff picture. We'll also have a regular segments, Take It to the Bank, and Back in the Vault. On the line, we've got Peter from Toronto. Yo, what up, what up? Josh in Ottawa. Hey. And I'm your host, Raj, coming from Montreal. So, um, guys, it's been a busy week in the NBA. Uh, a lot of new stories, injuries, uh, players coming out with new developments. So I'm just going to start it off right now and uh, talk a little about Hassan Whiteside uh, and him coming out um, to the media, really, and mentioning how he feels that he doesn't play enough down the stretch and that he should be on the floor. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it sounds like he's just, you know, complaining that he's not that good of a player or he's not as good as he thought he was. Uh in the past couple of months, we've seen Bam take over a lot of his playing time, and as a result, Whiteside's been sitting on the bench down the stretch a lot. Uh, so, in summary, they were playing against the Brooklyn Nets, and I can't remember, did they win that game, or did they end up losing, I guess? Hence why he was frustrated? Uh, no, I think they won. They won, yeah. Did they? They oh. did. Okay, fair enough. Well, his quotes were, it's bullshit, man. It's really bullshit. There's a lot of teams out there that could do the center. Shit, that's bullshit. <laughs> I think that's a very clear way of saying you're not happy. Yeah, to say the least, right? I mean, it's really ballsy for him to say that, considering that Pat Riley is pretty ruthless, and you know we could see him getting traded at any point during the summer now. Now that he's expressed frustration and that he's willing to leave. Well, except for the fact that he's not really going to be tradable. Because nobody's really in the market for those types of centers anymore. It's pretty amazing how he went from, you know, uh, a top-tier center about two to three years ago that was putting up incredible stats that came out of nowhere to just being this prehistoric creature now, just like the likes of Monroe and even... Valanciunas has changed his game a little bit this year, but he's still, you know, uh, pretty slow on defense. And that's the reason why he's not playing, right? That's the reason why Hassan Whiteside is not playing in the fourth quarter, not averaging more than, you know, 22 minutes a game and. Uh, this stretch of games, and he's only averaged, I think, 24, 25 minutes a game overall this season. So that's the reason why he's not playing is he doesn't have the foot speed to stay with, you know, small guards or even forwards in switch situations. So that's why they're playing the likes of Kelly Olynyk over him and then uh, Bam Adebayo as well. But Olynyk's got, you know, the higher share of minutes when they've all been healthy because he's the better all-around player which is sort of weird to say now when we looked at Whiteside as, you know, a top-tier center again as, you know, as early as last year, really. So A quick fact check, they actually did lose uh, in overtime Told uh, you guys, on Saturday man. night. Why would he yeah, Peter me? knows it's... Why would he be so angry if they won the game? You can't even be complaining if you won the game. Yeah, He's but... angry because his 2K rating is going to go down. <laughs> his 2K rating has been plummeting, man. Oh, yeah, also, that to his quotes. Sorry to interrupt you, Raj. This is too good to stop. Man, it's annoying. Why are we matching up? We got one of the best centers in the league. Why are we matching up? A lot of teams don't have a good center. They're going to use their strength. This man referred yeah. to himself in the third person and called himself one of the best centers in the league at the same time. Yeah, but uh, quickly <laughs> after the next day on Monday, he uh, quote-unquote regretted his comments. Uh, mentioning that he could have handled it differently, and he was caught caught up in the moment, and uh, he was competitive. And at the same time, I, I think uh, it's kind of a trend that's happening in the NBA, and I think for every player that plays that position or every fan, there's kind of a shift 
more towards playing a smaller lineup, um, playing kind of a, a, a small ball lineup, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, similar things have happened with JV uh, in the past where he was literally not playing a single minute in the fourth quarter for multiple games in a row. Uh, not so much this year, but in previous years. So I think it's a little a bit about a shift in the way that basketball is being played. And also the fact that Whiteside's coming off injuries this year and uh, there's other players that can step up in that role and do a very effective job. You can thank the Golden State Warriors for that as they've caused the shift, especially in you know crunch time in fourth quarters of uh, playing small ball lineups and being able to switch one through five. Because if you have a weak spot on the floor against really good teams, especially teams with really fast guards, you need to be able to have the big men who are, or the forwards guarding the pick and rolls to be able to switch onto these guys or at least pressure up so they can't shoot the off the dribble threes, which have been, you know, such a huge weapon for most of the, uh, the higher level teams like Houston, Golden State, etc. And a guy like Whiteside just can't survive in that type of environment. He's shown it in the playoffs too. He can't, he can't get out on you know perimeter players in order to affect their jump shots, and he can't keep them in front of them either. So he's basically just playing in space, and he's just going to get torched every time doing that. Yeah, but you got to also understand that from a, a player's perspective, like you want to be on the court, and obviously you don't want to go out in the media and say what he said, but like naturally being a player that. Um, can be a starter in this league and um, who had a lot of upside a couple of years ago and I'd say he's done a pretty good job in the NBA um, just he's frustrated and I don't really blame him there's better ways of going about it he's probably going to pay the price one way or another but don't blame the guy do you think he would be talking this much if he hadn't gotten a huge contract a few years ago probably not I think he's just chilling now and He's not really scared to voice himself anymore. Well, I think he, I think he cares. I think he really cares about it. Because you're saying this kind of stuff, but at the same time, like you need to be coachable and you need to take your coach's advice and become a better defensive player. And that's the way you're gonna get more minutes. Right? That's why he's playing a rook over him and he plays really good defense, especially on the perimeter, and he's able to move his feet. But Whiteside just hasn't shown a propensity to be able to do that. So. If you want more minutes, play better defense. It's pretty simple. This guy sounds like an android out here. <laughs> yeah. Yo, did you know he's All making right, um, twenty, like almost twenty-five million next year? How crazy is this? Yeah. And he might be benched as early as next year too. Jesus Christ! They might have to cut him or send him to the G League. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard to get rid of that kind of contract. Obviously, it's not a long, long-term contract. Um, but. At the end of the day, like he is a he's an athletic center. Yes, he's not good in space, and he might not be currently adapted to modern NBA. But um, I, I still think there's a big upside, and he's only 28, um, so there's a couple good years if uh, he fits fits into the right system. I think he's done, man. I wouldn't say only 28 for a guy who's like seven feet tall, and he's really thick, right? Like those type of bodies don't last very long. Yeah, I think that he needs to, like, I'm not really going to go into the Toronto Raptors and JV right now, but he, he needs to take the, the JV route, especially this season, and cutting some weight and adapting his game and being able to shoot from the outside and then also uh, play a little bit better defense, which JV has shown that he can do this year, even though he hasn't been great. He's been better than he was last year, at least, and Whiteside hasn't shown any improvement on defense. 
Do you think he's going to play in the playoffs? Really quick word. Uh, it depends on the matchup. If uh, uh, he plays a team that has a, a center like him, a seven-foot guy who plays in the post like Embiid, for example, um, or even JV, um, I think that he might play uh, 25 minutes a game, 25 to 30 minutes. But if he plays against a team that plays smaller, then he's not going to play that much. Yeah. It's all dependent on the matchup. Yeah, I think even with, if, even if he plays against a team with a bigger center like Embiid or maybe Miles Turner or JV, I think Bam will end up taking a lot. Maybe not more minutes, but definitely the minutes down the stretch. Like the important minutes, basically. And then the playoffs, that's what really matters, right? It's not, like, who cares about like the, the five-minute intervals in the second and third quarter? It's who's playing down the stretch in the fourth. And it'll definitely be Bam over Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, and if they play a team like Boston, Boston's merciless in attacking matchups that they see an advantage with because they don't really have a lot to take advantage of, especially at Irving. But um, if they have Whiteside on the floor guarding Horford, for example, they're going to put him in a pick and roll every single play in the playoffs. And I don't really think Whiteside is playable at that point, even though he has a massive advantage on the boards. I don't think he's playable because he's going to give up way too many points at the three-point line. Yeah. I can't wait to see Greg Monroe versus Hassan Whiteside in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it's a '90s. That's a '90s fan's dream, right there. Jesus here. Christ! Yeah, all right. Um, I'm gonna ask you guys each for one of your big storylines of the week, and starting with Josh. I think that it has to be the continued uh, play of the Philadelphia 76ers, trusting the process. They've won, I believe, now 13 straight games after their win tonight. And uh, despite not having him beat in the lineup, they just keep rolling along. I know they've had a cupcake schedule, and they continue to have a cupcake schedule, which really scares me as a Raptors fan because they might end up in the 2-3, uh, or sorry, the uh, the fourth seed. Um, but uh, it, it all depends on, uh, obviously, what LeBron does. They have a big matchup coming up on Friday. So that's going to be a match, massive game that the Raptors are going to be watching, hoping that you know Cleveland doesn't end up in their bracket. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens with that. But in terms of uh, their overall play, I mean, they just keep rolling along. Ben Simmons has been fantastic, and they just keep plugging guys in, like Ilya Sova or Sean Holmes, and uh, they just keep winning. Yeah, so the three games that Embiid has sat for, or has been injured for, I guess, has been against Charlotte, at home against Brooklyn, and then in Detroit tonight. And all three have been pretty clear wins. Uh, this Philly team is... Pretty impressive, and they might actually get the third seed at this rate. Like you said, they have that big matchup against Cleveland on Friday. I could really see Cleveland playing the matchup game and just tanking for a few more games this year so they can get the Raptors in the first round. And Philly in the third seed. Yeah, second round. My bad. Yeah, Philly might actually take the third seed. That'd be very impressive considering they barely had, like, I think... They barely had 70 wins in the past three years combined. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to be a 50-win team this year, uh, especially if they have games against uh, Atlanta and Dallas. I think um, they should be able to win those too. Um, and maybe the final game at Milwaukee, depending on how much is at stake. Josh, I agree with you. Philly's been like shockingly good. I think uh, the big thing that comes with this win streak of theirs is how they're able to do it with a bit of adversity with Marcus Folds coming in. Um, it, it changes how like a team functions and they've taken it in stride. And yes, they haven't beat maybe 
that formidable opponents, but it's the NBA. you got to win, and um, there have been some games against like some tougher teams. Like They did beat Minnesota, um, and yeah, that's about it. That's pretty much the only team that they <laughs> beat in the playoffs. Um, but win's a win, and uh, I've been impressed. Uh, Peter, what's your big storyline from this week? Uh, mine is back to another player talking to the media after a rough loss. This time it's Paul George complaining that he doesn't have the right shot mechanics. And uh, so this is the game, or this is after the game against Golden State on Tuesday night, where he said, yeah, I like the looks, I gotta figure it out. There's something mechanical in my shot. I've had struggles throughout the season in my career shooting it. I don't know what it is, it feels funny. Shooting the ball feels funny. I'm working with our trainers trying to figure that out. I don't feel like myself shooting the ball right now. That's pretty alarming for someone who's supposed to be your second best player on the team, right? This is supposed to be the guy that you brought in as your second option, as that second guy that can create when Russell Westbrook is sitting on the bench or, you know, a quick catch-and-shoot guy. And if he's not able to shoot, this is very worrisome for them going forward. Yeah, first of all, I hope he hasn't hired Markel Fultz as trainer. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason why his shot has been so off lately. And the second thing is... Um, it might just have to do with Russell Westbrook being the biggest hog in, in the NBA <laughs> right now, and maybe NBA history. I mean, it's hard to get in a rhythm when you have your point guard taking 25 shots a game, especially in the bigger games this year. I know he had a huge game yesterday against the Golden State Warriors, but when you have one guy using that many possessions up every single game, and you're a guy that's used to having the ball in your hands a lot, like Paul George is, I think that hurts a rhythm. I mean, it, it showed out last year with Oladipo, the guy who has broken out this year, and last year he was basically a role player and didn't handle the ball at all, especially in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, they need to trust Paul George more and get him the ball more often, especially throughout the game. I know in the fourth quarter it's going to be Westbrook time, but throughout the game, like, Westbrook should be giving him more of the reins and giving him more opportunities, and Melo needs to stop chucking up garbage, too. He needs to know his role. Yeah, I, I agree with you as well, especially with Westbrook um, kind of taking over the team, especially against bigger opponents and also in the clutch. I remember watching a game last week against the Spurs, and down the stretch, uh, OKC was right, in, right at the game. Uh, it was last Thursday. And uh, there was two straight possessions, or two out of the three possessions, where Russell Westbrook kind of came up the court and as a fan you knew he was going to take that shot regardless of what the defense was showing him and uh, he ended up taking two three-pointers and they're both air balls and of course that's one specific instance um it really does speak to how he considers himself the the number one option on that team and for a player of paul george's quality he expects to get the ball more and i think a lot of the times he's getting the ball from russell westbrook it's when russell westbrook is kind of like in a mode where he can't do anything and he just dishes it out to Paul George as an escape. Uh, and one last funny thing to note, um, this is now two kind of backup uh, guards that have turned into great players that were normally sitting behind Russell Westbrook. Obviously, the first being James Harden, the second being Victor Oladipo. So maybe there's a little trend here. Uh, I wouldn't say Harden is in the same line just because he did have the ball a lot when he was there. 
And Harden was like 21 or 22 years old when he was playing with Russ, so I wouldn't chalk that up straight to Russ, especially since they still had KD. But with George, it, you're, you two are both completely right. It's more of a like a rhythm thing. You're telling a guy who's come from being the number one option, he's been an ISO player for the longest time, and now you're telling him to just you know, stand in the corner and wait for a three or bail them out whenever Russ can't do something with it, which is rare, but it happens. Right, and being a guy who's so used to having the rock all the time and having control of the team and just having to relinquish it in one offseason, it's going to take a lot more time for him to establish a strong chemistry with Westbrook, if they're even able to. And for him to say this now going into the playoffs, I think that's the more worrisome part more than anything else. Right, like at the beginning of the year, I could understand it if it was in September or October. You know, we're just coming out of training camp, this is all the first couple of weeks, that's fine. Of course you're not going to have chemistry with each other. But they've played together for, how long has it been, like eight months now? And there's still these kind of issues? It's a pretty big cause of concern. And this could be Paul George subtly saying that he's out of here during the offseason. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that's like a little, it's, it's a nice way of saying, hey, this is isn't working out so well with me. I'm not enjoying my time um, in a basketball sense. Yeah, I'll be I'll be really interested to see if he leaves, especially since you know he's talked about wanting to go to the Lakers for so long. He grew up in L- in the LA County, and you know especially now that the Lakers are actually playing pretty well for the over the past couple of weeks, I'd say. It's it should be really tempting for him, and I wouldn't be surprised if he packed up his bags over the summer. Yeah, he's going to the Lakers unless they win the championship, which they're not going to. So, uh, I think that's a foregone conclusion in my mind. But what do I know? All right, so that wraps up this segment. Now we're gonna switch gears and go to our next segment. Take it to the bank. Uh, for our new listeners, Take It to the Bank is where we drop our best hot takes. Uh, Josh, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. I don't really know if this is really much of a hot take this week, but I think Damian Lillard is going to be um, first team All-NBA at the point guard position this year, and I think that he has been the best point guard overall um, in terms of production and where he's led his team this season. Uh, mostly because Stephen Curry has been injured for uh, 30 games now, but um, I think Lillard's overall has been absolutely amazing this year, and he's led Portland to the 3C, which absolutely nobody expected. I think we all expected them to be a you know seventh or eighth seed, or in a worst case scenario, be out of the playoffs. Um, so I think that he's done an absolutely amazing job in leading his team to the third seed. Um, they've gained a ton of chemistry this year, especially with Nurkic um, in the post. And their defense has been absolutely awesome this year, which is a huge surprise based on last season. I mean, last season they were, I think, in the bottom 10 in defensive efficiency. And then this year, I think they've been top five for a good portion of the year. I think they just dropped out of the top five recently, but uh, they've been top five for most of the season. And I think that's thanks to him and uh, CJ McCollum um, just making a commitment to defense and, you know, actually trying um, and being able to. Um, use their energy uh, to be able to play the defensive end on the floor while still being able to produce at a high level on offense, which is, again, very, very impressive. Yeah, he's been absolutely incredible this year. Um, I think you're right. Unless the voters take Westbrook into the first position, which I could totally see happening, 
this should be Lillard's spot. And yeah, you're uh, as soon as Steph and Kyrie got injured this year, especially for both for long periods of time, you basically didn't have anyone else. You know, there's John Wall. He's also being hurt. So it's between Westbrook and Lillard to end. Considering that Lillard has taken that extra step, he's become the real leader of the team. He's probably the guy with the most experience on the team in terms of years played, aside from maybe Evan Turner at this point. So I could totally see it happening. Uh, he's completely deserving of it. I mean, there's really nothing bad I can say about the guy. He's hit clutch shots. He's claimed the city as his own. And, uh, you know, he's probably the best NBA rapper that we've had over the years as well. So just a nice little added touch. It seems like every podcast you somehow go after Kobe. Uh, I'm not going to go after Kobe this time if that was a shot at me, Josh. <laughs> no, no, uh, Peter just did by saying Lillard's the best rapper that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, either it's Kobe, Shaq, come on now. Get out of here, man. Lillard is so <laughs> much better than these guys, without a doubt. I'm just playing. <laughs> you better be. Just to, just to add on to what you guys were saying, I, I think Lillard is the most deserving um, and if he doesn't win, uh, well, not win, but if he's not part of NBA first team, I, I think I'd be surprised. Um, but a name like Westbrook, I think more of the media is obsessed with him. He gets a bit more national televised games, um, and he he has a stronger reputation in the media than a player like Damian Lillard. So that's the one way I could see Lillard not getting it. Um, but on a really quick side note, I think Terry Stotts has probably been the best NBA coach consistently over the last three or four years. Obviously, there's Pop. Who's whoa, whoa, is, is that your hot take? Yeah, no, so that is not hot, my hot take. Man, that's boiling. Jesus. That is scorching. No, but I think he's been consistently the the most. I think he's been the best coach for what team he's had and what level of basketball they've played over the last four years i would say that he's definitely in the conversation and i would make a, a strong argument for him uh, with like deserving that unofficial title yeah i mean they made the playoffs the last five seasons which is impressive given the talent level and you know their propensity to spend on really average or below average players and evan turner getting uh, i think four years 70 million maurice harkless who has been a lot better this year but he got a decent sized contract as well um, they just have a lot of guys who are okay, but they're not really NBA starter level players. And especially off the bench, like you have a bunch of guys who play really hard, but they're not really all that talented, but they just fit in their role, which again is a credit to Terry Stotts. So, um, even though it is a scorching hot take, I can definitely see where you're coming from because Stotts has done an amazing job, especially the last few years where Portland's just taken um, another step in becoming not a con- I don't think they're really a contender yet. Um, but they're the three seeds, so I guess you have to take them seriously now, even though I don't really think that their team is going to be able to uh, keep up this level of production against the higher-level teams. And they really beat up on, like, the lower-level teams this year. I think they were – I think I saw a stat they were, like, 28-4 and four, um, against uh, the lottery teams and, like, the lower-level teams in the NBA this year. So, I mean, if you're beating up on low-level teams, you should be beating up on lower-level teams as a three-seed, obviously, and a team that wants to make the playoffs and get home court advantage. But um, I really don't think they're going to be able to match up against most of the uh, the better teams in the West, especially. Yeah, but like considering what they have on paper and the players that have actually been part of the, the team over the last four years or so, I think oh, he's sure. gotten a really 
good production and consistent production um, from that team. And even the series that they lost in the past, uh, the last two years losing against the Warriors, um, they did lose 4-0 last year and 4-1 the year before. But um, I think they actually were competitive in those games. And um, for a team that didn't have four All-Stars on their team, <laughs> um, they hung with them and they played hard. And at the end of the day, I, I don't hear a lot of negative press coming from that team. It seems like a team that really enjoys playing basketball, plays the game the right way. Uh, haven't seen too much of them, but I, I think that I would give him a lot of credit because I don't think he, as a coach, gets enough. But that's not even my hot take. I'm going to give that later after Peter gives his. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just one more point. Did you guys listen to the interview with uh, where Chris Haynes had CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard at like a dinner from a few weeks ago? Yeah, I just heard it today. Yeah. Uh, so, Raj, um, I don't know if you heard it or not, but uh, they had one of the assistant coaches on as well, and they were saying that they created this new drill called, called 900s, where they basically take 900 threes from around, like around the arc in varying positions. So like from anywhere on the floor, you'll do like a step back, you'll do a like a curl, you'll do like a like just like an off screen, like that kind of thing, and you have to nail 900 of them. So it, they were saying how it took like an hour after like practice for them to finish this during the off season, which is like it's an incredible drill to even think of. And it was one of those things where it's like okay, I don't know what else to do with these guys after practice, so I'm just going to make them shoot a bunch of weird stuff and see what happens. And they just created something out of nowhere. And it seems to be a genius idea. Yeah, then CJ McCollum said that the coaching staff told him to hit five threes in a row or five shots of the similar uh, type of fashion in a row. And he said that he just got bored with it. So he hit four shots in a row based on what they told him to do, whether it was like a one-dribble pull-up or a three-point shot. And then the fifth shot, because he just wanted it to be different and because he wanted to um, sort of advance it to where he was taking a shot like he would in a game, he would do, you know, three crossovers, step back, and then <laughs> do like a 360 and then do a fadeaway or whatever. And he just said that he wanted to challenge himself because he just found the drills boring because he's such a great shooter, obviously. So he wanted to uh, make it like a game-like environment and do different moves that he might be doing in-game in order to uh, take his game to the next level, which is also interesting. Yeah, that is insane. So just, like, think of doing that after after a full practice. You're just like, yeah, I'm bored. I'm just going to throw something else into the rhythm here. And then to say that you're mimicking, like, a real-life situation is just... That's badass, man. That's, like, cockiness to a whole new level. Going back to Terry Stotts for a second, I think both him and uh, the Portland Trailblazers have had a huge makeover in the last, you know, five years, like Roger's saying. I think back in Atlanta, like way back when, when he would coach the Hawks, obviously he was coaching a lottery team and people didn't think that he was going to get another NBA job. And then he comes to Portland and, you know, the team is uh, basically run by LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, he obviously had Nick Batum, uh, Wes Matthews, and then a young Lillard, too. And then they lost all those guys, whether via trade or free agency. And he totally made, you know, the team into a more perimeter-oriented team, uh, which shows that he can coach different styles and different, uh, different, you know, players, especially in the starting lineup. Their starting lineup has changed a ton over the last few years. And uh, he's 
been successful in you know reintegrating guys in the lineup no matter if there's injuries or even you know the starting center which changed recently with Denver and Nurkic playing in Portland the last year and a half so it just shows that you can go from playing like a high post type of offense with Plumlee to a more pick and roll oriented offense with uh, their guards and Nurkic so he's obviously again done an amazing job with them yep 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 indeed anyway so my hot take this week uh I'm gonna stay west and I think that with Minnesota's recent slump, they'll be out of the playoff picture come uh, next week. I think that Denver's going to slip into the eighth spot. And the most crucial uh, games coming up are that these two actually have games against each other over the next week, which will essentially decide whether Denver is able to make it into the playoffs or not. Uh, so coming up, Denver has... Minnesota in Denver, then they're in LA against the Clippers, they have Portland, who's going to be at home, or sorry, Portland in Denver, and then they'll be in Minnesota for the last game of the season. Uh, I think that Denver has been still streaky as always, but they seem to be finding their stride a little bit better now that Millsap has had time to sort of integrate himself back into the system. And I think, realistically, Portland is probably going to rest some of their guys over the last week, so I'm going to chalk that up as another W for Denver. And as long as they can get one of these two games versus Minnesota, I think that's uh, that's bad news bears for a Timberwolves team whose playoff streak has been uh, everlasting, to say the least. Yeah, I think that uh, both Minnesota... And um, even New Orleans, if you look at their schedule, uh, they have a lot of tough games coming up as well. They have San Antonio, the Clippers, who might still be fighting for a playoff spot, even though they're not really. But they continue to play their starters, obviously, and they're going not going to send anybody out, I don't think, for that game. And they have Golden State coming up as well. So I think both teams have a couple cupcakes within the five games that they have to play. But as you said, that Denver-Minnesota um, game that's coming up, plus the last game of the year, is going to mean a lot unless Denver just sort of, you know, loses games that they shouldn't. And, uh, <laughs> which they might. <laughs> which they've done a lot. Yeah, they've been doing the it last all season. Couple. Yeah, for sure. And Gary Harris has been out the last two weeks, but they've been able to, uh, you know, uh, survive without him, obviously. And um, Jokic has taken his game to another level the last two weeks, especially without Harris in the lineup. He's been scoring... 25-plus points per game consistently. He's been extremely aggressive, which he's not really been known for. He's more of, he's mostly known for be, you know, just making the right play no matter what, um, whether that's the pass or you know taking the shots off the dribble. Um, but lately, he's been posting up a lot more and just abusing any type of mismatch that he has instead of always looking to pass out to the perimeter. So that's been huge for them. But it's going to be very interesting to see who gets the best at that Jokic-Towns matchup coming up and obviously in the last game of the year as well. Yeah, I think either way, um, it's really going to come down to those two head-to-heads. Um, that really determines it. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it I think both teams struggle with inconsistencies and beating teams they should beat. Um, and I think, Peter, if I'm not wrong, you're a Nuggets fan, right? Hell yeah, I'm probably the only guy in the world that owns a Wilson Chandler jersey, aside from the Nuggets. And Wilson Chandler himself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think um, it's really going to come down to those games. And at the end of the day, uh, last game is at Minnesota. And um, that probably is going to determine who makes the playoffs. So that will be one hell of a game. And 
I am still going to stick with Minnesota making it to the playoffs. I don't think much is going to change in terms of who makes it, but the seedings are all at mass really until April 11th. Yeah, and I still think we can't forget that New Orleans is only one game ahead of uh, Denver as well. And uh, they haven't been playing great basketball lately either. They've uh, lost a few games recently. And uh, the Emeka Okafor uh, experiment hasn't really been working out. He's, you know, he's mostly stopgap, obviously, for them to get minutes out of the center positions so Anthony Davis doesn't have to get beaten up all the time. Um, but they start a Miritich tonight against, uh, I think it was Memphis that they're playing tonight, yeah. which I believe they won that game. But um, they have a serious lack of depth, and they're they're sort of as the season goes along and able to beat um, the better teams in the league. And uh, they've again, like other playoff teams, they've made you know beating up on the cupcakes that they have in their schedule. But uh, they have three tough games coming up, just like Minnesota and Denver. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be able to step up at the plate. And uh, obviously, Jimmy Butler's going to be coming back at some point before the season ends. But as of right now, he's doubtful to play tomorrow, so hopefully he's able to come back um, on the weekend and uh, hopefully give Minnesota a boost. Yeah, New Orleans is only up 29 against Memphis with four minutes left in the game. I don't know if I don't know if they can pull this one off, but uh, they might have a bag. <laughs> yeah, and they also play Phoenix to, uh, on Friday, um, and then they have a tough game at Golden State. But then they have a, a game against the Clippers and wrapping up with the Spurs. And the Spurs at that moment might be resting if their playoff faith is uh, and seed is determined. Um, so I, I, I think New Orleans, based on their schedule, should be able to gather two wins that they need to really ensure uh, them making the playoffs. Uh, I'm just going to switch over and give my hot take of the week. Uh, obviously has to do with my fascination about the Raptors. Um uh, <laughs> I'm gonna Jesus. say that the rap. I I'm gonna say that the Raptors are the coldest team going into the playoffs in the East. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's a fact right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's still five games left in the season, obviously too. So you never know what's gonna happen with that. Plus, the Raptors are gonna, you know, if they win tonight. Uh, they're probably going to rest some players the next couple games. Um, but hopefully they get into enough of a rhythm to where they actually have a chance in game one of the playoffs, which even if they don't, you know, get a rhythm. I mean, if they, even if they do get a rhythm, sorry, I think they're still going to lose that game because that's just what the Raptors do. I think yeah, Washington I, I, might be colder than Toronto, but it's arguable at that rate because Washington's been pretty awful over their past over their past few games. Uh, they're 4-6 and six over the last 10. They're what John Wall came back for one game and then sat the next game, so they're sort of in a gray area with where he stands right now. But yeah, the Raptors have been ice cold going for, and they don't show any signs of really heating up either, right? Uh, a lot of teams in the league have really figured out this starting unit, and the only way that they've been winning, or slash, or quote unquote winning rather, has been because of their bench. Yeah, and the most alarming thing with the Raptors is against uh, plus 500, no, sorry, against top 10 offenses, um, they're 29th in defense against the better offenses in the NBA throughout the season. So that's definitely not a good sign, especially if they match up with a team like Washington, if Wall's fully healthy, who is extremely explosive on offense. Um, even though it's somewhat unlikely Washington falls that far and they're most likely going to play Milwaukee or Miami, 
uh, you still have to be worried that the Raptors defense, um, especially the last, uh, what, three weeks, um, has been absolutely atrocious. And obviously they have zero, um, they have zero recourse as to stopping LeBron as well. So even if they are able to win a round and hopefully not have to play LeBron in the second round, they're eventually going to have to play him unless something insane happens in that bracket. So uh, they're going to have to fix their issues uh, before they, they obviously face LeBron and they have to find some sort of way to somehow stop the three point shooters, especially the likes of Jose Calderon. <laughs> Jose Calderon. Revenge series. Yeah, well, play Lowry. Well, regardless of who they play, they're either going to play Miami, Washington, or Milwaukee. And uh, just to heat things up, I don't see that series going shorter than six or seven games with either one of those three teams. Yeah, they've had some really close games against Miami this year. Um, Miami just plays them tough because they play um, a very slow style, which the Raptors often struggle against. They've struggled against Boston, obviously, recently, too, and playing that really slow, grind-it-to-a-halt type of style, which a lot of teams play in the playoffs, obviously. Um, so the Raptors are going to have to figure out a way to combat that and actually you know, try to play more up-tempo. Because uh, the one other thing that people don't really talk about the Raptors is they don't have a lot of outside shooting outside of Lowry, and he hasn't been a, you know, a great playoff performer, obviously, either. So you're going to be relying on guys like Van Vliet and DeLon Wright and C.J. Miles, who has been extremely cold the last month, uh, to be able to hit outside shots because teams are just going to pack the paint and you know tell these guys to go ahead and shoot. So what about it's going to Ser- be tough for them. What about Serge Ibaka? Yeah, he's been terrible this year. (laughs) (laughs) Serge is, uh, I think he's averaging around 35% from the three at four uh, attempts a game. How brutal is that? Yeah, that's, it's okay. I mean, the league average is 36, but against better teams, like, he just hasn't stepped up, and Siakam's been playing the majority of the minutes against a lot of these teams, too, which he's earned, because Siakam's been awesome on defense, and he's, uh... He's been okay on offense. He hasn't been shooting that well from outside, but he knows his role and he plays within it. So so we will be moving on, um, and we'll move on to our next segment, Back in the Vault. Shut up and sit down. Uh, for our new listeners, Back in the Vault is where we talk about a current or former NBA player that holds a special place in basketball. And this week, we're going to be talking about... Actually, Josh, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gilbert Arenas and uh, the career that he had. I don't think that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's obviously going to be remembered as being one of the better, especially in his prime, one of the better scorers, um, especially throughout the course of you know the early 2000s. And his series against LeBron, even though Washington always fell short, he was always uh, absolutely incredible playing against LeBron. Yeah, I think he was on the Washington team where, maybe you guys have heard differently, but they were the first ones that I heard being called the Big Three, where it was him, Antoine Jameson, and Karan Butler. I don't know if they're deserving of a Big Three title, but I'm pretty sure that's where I heard it first. Um, Arenas was really uh, quite the player. Drafted early in the second round to Golden State, didn't get much playing time, obviously, as a second rounder. And really took on that uh, Kobe MJ type of approach to prep, like constantly practicing late nights, early mornings, 
kind of guy, and eventually just forced his way onto the floor, right, and got himself paid, became a three-time All-Star, made the All-NBA second team. It's pretty impressive for a guy coming out of the, like, the second round. Yeah, he's also got a pretty great rags to riches story too like he wore the number zero because i believe it was his coach in uh in high school told him that he never amount to anything and uh once he got to college he obviously wanted to prove people wrong and he thought that he was taken way too low in the draft in the second round and uh, once he got to the league he obviously improved year to year to becoming um you know again one of the best scorers in the league at that time I think he averaged 29 points one year, and he was consistently over 25 points per game for at least uh, four to five years uh, before injuries, you know, sort of ruined him, uh, much like they did Iverson later in his career as well. Um, but the other incident I think that we have to talk about is uh, obviously the situation with Javaris Crittenton in the locker room, which might be, sadly, what the Gilbert Arenas ends up being known for over the course of time. Oh, he will be known for that. For sure. <laughs> Uh, so, for those of you who don't know the story, uh, this is all, you know, coming from, I think, Karan Butler's book and stories that he's retold over and over. But from what I can remember, uh, these guys typically play cards on planes and gamble a lot. Do you remember who, like, how this went, Josh? Like, I think it was a card game, actually. I think uh, Gilbert owed him some money. And uh, wouldn't pay Javaris back, and Javaris confronted him in the locker room, and Gilbert clowned on him one game, or after a game, and then uh, Javaris just had enough of Gilbert going after him uh, overall, plus the fact that he owed him money, I think eventually it just came to uh, the point where Javaris just had enough, and he brought a gun into the locker room, obviously, and there was a huge incident, and both guys got... Uh, you know, massive fines and huge suspensions, especially Tavares, who never really came back to the NBA after that. And uh, I think recently, I think about a year ago, he was convicted of murder as well. <laughs> That's right. In a whole separate <laughs> incident, which didn't involve Gilbertines, luckily. But uh, obviously, he's uh, not one to be trifled with. Yeah, so um, basically, that story in the locker room was both guys talking trash to each other. Somebody told them. I think Arena said that he was going to like bring in his gat, or Critton said he was going to bring in his gun, and Arena's basically just laughed at the guy the whole time, right? And then the next day, Critton actually brought in his gun, and obviously everyone cleared out of the locker room except for Arena's Critton, Critton, Crit, what's his name? Critton. and Tough Juice. Obviously, because he's tough juice, and that's where we're gonna get all these stories from. And uh, you're right, both guys got suspended. Arenas did play for a few more years after that, but wasn't was never really the same kind of player, right? Like when he went to Orlando or to Memphis, I guess. It really fell off after that one incident. Yeah, the way I remember Gilbert Arenas, besides that incident that we're all gonna remember him for, um, is a player that kind of shot up into the rankings from pretty much nowhere um and he was right up there with the nba elite like agent zero uh he was adidas prime nba superstar um until they cut him i think a bit after that incident in 2009 um and they dropped their sponsorship but he was just an explosive player he reminded me a lot of like a tracy mcgrady 
um, not necessarily in the way he played, but how good of a scorer he was. And he was very um, multifaceted. He could score different ways. Uh, he was a good three-point shooter. I think he lost uh, the three-point contest to Dirk uh, the one year he was in it. Uh, um, and I remember this um, from one of the highlight packages that he scored, like 15 or 16 points in an overtime period. And uh, that was the NBA record. And if I'm not wrong, it's still the NBA record. Uh, which is ridiculous, um, but uh, I think his career was uh, cut short and, and damn shame. But uh, it was it was fun to watch him play, and uh, he's definitely a player that wore his uh, his colors on his sleeve. He's also the first guy that we saw that uh, started celebrating before his shots went through the net. Right? He uh, we're obviously going to remember that shot where he's at the top of the key. Or at the top of the three, just does a little jab and then just pulls up and turns around, puts his hands up in the air before the ball goes in the net. And like he was doing that kind of stuff way before Steph ever did, which is just another level of confidence. And way before Nick Young ever did as well. <laughs> to his own fault, Nick Young. <laughs> And Nick Young didn't really do it as well, obviously, since he ended up missing the shot. But uh, I think the best way to describe uh, Gilbert's um, overall game and career is that he was definitely a gunner. Yeah, no doubt. Nice putt. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, well, I think that wraps up our show for this week. Uh, we'll probably be joining you guys for a podcast on the weekend, and then we'll have our season review and playoff preview uh, episodes coming out right after the last day of the NBA next Wednesday of the regular season. And uh, again, thanks for joining us. Remember to rate, subscribe, and leave us comments. If you have any questions, you can shoot us an email at stretch4pod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at stretch for the number pod. See you guys next week. <laughs> Peace.